0: Harvard Divinity School. Breaking Walls, historical and contemporary Mizrahi feminist struggles for housing in Israel-Palestine,
1: March 1st, 2022.
0: Welcome to the second event in our spring semester series, Disrupting Injustice and Promoting Moral Imagination in Israel-Palestine. My name is Atalia Omer, and I'm a professor of religion, conflict, and peace studies at the Kiel School of Global Affairs at the University of Notre Dame. I'm also the Dunphy Visiting Professor of Religion, Conflict, and Peacebuilding at Harvard Divinity School's Religion, Conflict, and Peace Initiative. It is in this capacity and together with my colleagues, Hilary Rantisi, Professor Diane Moore, and Reem Atassi, that I have the honor and privilege to introduce today's event. Our series this semester showcases religion, conflict, and peace fellows and their work. Two weeks ago, we launched our series with Topol fellow Oriel Eisner in our event entitled Shared Resistance and Solidarity, a Renewed Paradigm. That event focused on the constant and grinding realities of demolitions, Jewish-Israeli settlers' harassment, and military violence, and various other mechanisms for state violence and the continuous displacement of Palestinians in the southern hills of Hebron as well as we focused on Jewish-Palestinian sites of a disruptive co-resistance to the logic of the occupation. Today's event takes us to the Mizrahi struggle and sites of resistance. Today's event is titled Breaking Walls, Historical and Contemporary Mizrahi Feminist Struggles for Housing in Israel-Palestine. The struggle for the basic human right for shelter of Mizrahi communities, of course conjures up images of the persistent unhousing of Palestinians. So definitional, definitional to Israeli history. Recent images of Mizrahi families evicted from their homes in Givatamal in Tel Aviv the site of al jamasin al-Gharbi, a depopulated Palestinian neighborhood, illuminates the intricate ways in which Palestinian and Mizrahi narratives and struggles are linked, even if the images of evicted poor Mizrahi families did not make it to broader circuits of media and public and international discourse and screens. The reasons for this are numerous but at the very center is the operation of an ideological discourse that differentiates Jews from non-Jews in the broader geopolitical space from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea. This differentiation also erects walls between their respective struggles for justice and delimits the accessibility of the Mizrahi struggle for justice to broader transnational social justice actors. As Oren Sieve wrote in uh, the magazine 972 last September, and I quote, the story of Givat Amal encapsulates the story of the state of Israel, the flight of Palestinians from their villages and their transformation into perpetual refugees, the racism and structural discrimination faced by Mizrahi immigrants, and Israel's turn toward a form of hyper-capitalism that puts the profits of billionaires before the lives of the working and middle class, end of quote. Today's discussion of Mizrahi's struggle for housing illuminates physical and metaphorical connections between the meanings of home, housing, and unhousing, as they relate to the story of Zionism and Israel. It allows us, if we want, to interrogate who benefits from such patterns of displacement and who suffers from it and how it is authorized and by whom. Images of evicted Palestinians in occupied East Jerusalem and those of Givat Amal are linked in complex ways to one another and to an ideological frame that renders such violence consistent with itself. It also exposes, if one is willing to see outside limited uh, rhetorical lenses, the deep link between settler colonialism and its definitional focus on land and territory. Its manifestation in the form of gentrification and the racial formation operative within Israel-Palestine. We at the Religion, Conflict, and Peace Initiative invited human rights activist attorney, Sapir Sluskir Amran, to benefit from the substantial privilege of the fellowship with our program with an understanding that her deep roots in queer and feminist Mizrahi activism for social justice within Israel and her persistent efforts to archive the legacy of Mizrahi resistance and struggles underpin a depth understanding that the walls that have contributed to delinking struggles need to be demolished for renewed pathways for core resistance to be paved through a prison that requires relinquishing a commitment to the ideological infrastructures holding the walls in place. The title of today's conversation is noted is Breaking Walls, Historical and Contemporary Mizrahi Feminist Struggles for Housing in Israel-Palestine. And so I'm reminded of the powerful words of the Palestinian author and activist, Mariam Barghouti, who wrote in 2017 in the Jewish publication, The Forward, a piece, the argument of which is captured in its title. No, you can't be a feminist and a Zionist. With this, I turn to Leahy Yona, who is JSD candidate at Columbia Law School. She is also a fellow at Harvard Law School this year. She has been focusing on employment law and race theory, and and she's an incredibly prolific and exciting emerging scholar at the cutting edge of academic conversation that in themselves engage in breaking walls as a constructive enterprise for thinking deeper. Lihi will moderate the conversation between our RCPIS fellow, Sapir, and Dr. Yali Hashash. Lihi, let me now turn to you. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Atalia, for this uh, generous uh, introduction. And hello, everyone, and thank you all for joining us for this event uh, that uh, Atalia uh, presented uh, so well, Breaking Walls, Historic and Contemporary Struggles for Housing in Israel-Palestine. Shalom Today's event uh, shines a light on one of the most courageous, important, and radical social justice struggles in Israel, the struggle for public housing led by Mizrahi women activists. Sapir, the organizers of of, of today's event, whom I'll introduce more formally shortly, and the Breaking Walls grassroots organization she co-founded have played a key role in this struggle for many years. Alongside their work of resisting eviction, sometimes with their own bodies, and fighting for a roof to all who need it, another facet of their activism revolves around documentation. Uh, in the past few years, Sapir has been collecting and building an archive of uh, Mizrahi resistance and struggles, both historic and contemporary. Like her, carmen El-Makiyas, the co-founder of Breaking Walls, have produced in recent years several documentary exhibitions depicting marginalized communities, including battered women and poor elderly USSR immigrants in Israel. This aspect of Breaking Walls activism, which will also be manifested in today's event, Holds a unique importance worth mentioning, uh, both in general uh, and in the Mizrahi context more specifically. Ela Shochat, perhaps the mother of Mizrahi scholarship, begins one of her foundational texts, Columbus, Palestine, and Arab Jews, with the story of the emptying of the Jewish Egyptian Gniza by researcher and public figure Salomon Shechter. The Gnizah, a storage place, was traditionally a room inside a synagogue where Jews would deposit various documents from unusual sacred scripture to everyday documents. The Jewish Gnizah of Cairo was, quote-unquote, discovered during the British colonial rule over Egypt and taken by Schechter and his research team to the University of Cambridge. It held around 400,000 documents that outlined a 10,000-year continuum of the life of the Jewish community in Cairo, and is considered to be the largest and most diverse collection of medieval texts in the world. Shochat locates the displacement of the gniza from Egypt to the UK as part of the cultural colonial dynamic of the time, where researchers joined forces with imperial powers to dig and uproot Egyptian artifacts like mummies and other antiques in order to document and study them, thus saving them from oblivion. What the story of the Gnizak teaches us is that the act of documentation is always a political act. Who owns the knowledge regarding communities, their lives and their struggles? Who is entitled through that ownership to create narratives and history from it? Breaking Wall's radical insistence on owning the the narrative regarding actions and activism and documenting with the communities themselves the history of their lives and struggles pushes against long-standing colonial traditions of appropriating Mizrahi narratives and histories. Today's event documents the history and present-day struggle of Mizrahi women who are fighting, sometimes against all odds, for a roof, a piece of land. Their story defies traditional monolithic notions of victimhood in Israel-Palestine in two important ways. First, it exposes the Jewish majority in Israel as ethnically and racially stratified, diversifying, who we may recognize as victims of systemic racism and oppression. Second, it defies traditional notions of victimhood as these women refuse to accept the realities and fate and insist on fighting back, demanding ownership of their homes and of their stories. We are truly blessed today with an amazing uh, panel of women. Uh, first, I will give the virtual uh, stage to Sapir Flutzker Amran. Sapir is a radical human rights lawyer and community organizer, considered one of the prominent political and social activists in Israel. Advocate Lutzer Amran is the co-founder of Breaking Walls, a feminist grassroots organization, and the founder of Mizrachion, the People's Archive for Social Movements in Israel. She is a fervent advocate and campaigner for poverty eradication in underprivileged populations and leads numerous grassroots struggles to promote these causes. In addition, she is one of the co-producers and the archivist for the reissuing of the Israeli Black Panthers Haggadah, Uh, Sapir will begin now with a short presentation that would give us some overview of the struggle for housing in Israel-Palestine. But just before we start, uh, just a word of housekeeping. So first, participants uh, may type in their questions in the Q&A feature at the bottom of the screen. Please don't use the chat as that will be used only for any technical issues participants are experiencing. Questions are not visible to other participants. Uh, If you prefer your question to be anonymous and your name not mentioned, then please specify that when you write your question. We will try to um, ask as many of the questions posed as possible and apologize in advance if we don't have time to get to all questions. And last point, this webinar is being recorded and the video will be available on the RCPI website in a few days for viewing. Sapir, uh, the stage is yours.
3: Thank you, Lee, and thank you, Atalia, and thank you, Yali. (laughs) for your um, joining us in a few minutes. So I wanna start by saying that I'm very excited because today we're gonna talk about uh, powerful women and there's nothing in the world, I think that I love more than powerful women. So I'm very happy about it. Um, um, Most importantly, because we have this month of International Women's Day that we're celebrating powerful women. And I think that some of the things that we'll talk about today is to see how those women fighting poverty, fighting for public housing, fighting for their human rights, are the ones that sometimes not included in those days, the, the CEOs, the officers, the, the army women, and um, the rich women, but we don't see them, not in the newspapers, not in the events, not with recognitions or prices. So I'm very happy that we are have this modest uh, way to also include them, to be part of it. Um, Thank you for ICPI um, for the stage and for this event. Um, And I really want to start by saying that I'm insisting in every one of those events, saying that um, I'm not taking this stage um, grandly, which means that I know that there were many women the founders of Mizrahi Feminism and and former generations that fought uh, for us to be able to sit in those events and talk. And even though it's not, I can't say that the issues that we're talking about today are mainstream, but they're getting much more exposure because of our our fight, the women that I present today and many more, Um, but I think especially because of them. So I wish that I had the time to kind of introduce them personally, um, but we can't, um, but I really wanted to take a minute to appreciate them, Um, to appreciate all of them. Um, So let's start. So this event today dedicated to those women, dedicated to the women fighting for public housing, And I want to start with with a brief uh, introduction about what is public housing in Israel, how the struggles looks like. Um, But also my mom told me, you should say something personal when you begin. So I just wanted to say that the women that we're talking about today, many of them are my mentors. And when I started my political work, when I was thinking even what I'm going to study and decided to be a lawyer, when I was thinking about, the, the 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 issues, the activities, and um, that shaped the experiences that shaped my political views and my work and led me to the person that I am today. It's all because of them. Um, in the last decade, they were the one that was leading the way for me and many other women. So um, I just had to say it before getting to the formal part. And now we're gonna go to see a brief presentation
4: talking about public housing and our struggles. So before we start,
3: uh, what is public housing in Israel today? So talking about public housing in Israel, we're talking basically about an ongoing crisis for decades. Public housing in Israel um, used to be in steel apartments, by the Ministry of Construction and Housing. Today, we only have 52,000 public housing apartments um, and there are more than 30,000, sorry, it's a typo, 30,000 families waiting for public housing. Hundreds of thousands are only entitled to rent assistance, even though um, um, if the quotients weren't so hard and, and discriminated, all of them were also eligible for public housing. And I wanna give you an example to one criteria that we have to deal with and trying to change in the struggle, which is a family or a single mother will be eligible for public housing only if she has at least three children. So that means that if she has one or two children, even when she you know, left an, an abusive relationship, even though she's fighting poverty, if he, even though she doesn't have any place to go, she still won't be eligible for public housing. and um, so we have this term that we call um, um, you know the third child that they're kind of encouraging you to do um, in order to be eligible to public housing, even though you won't get it and it, and it can take years and years in order to enter to an apartment because most of the times apartments are only available when unfortunately the resident died um or were evicted for many reasons that we also fighting against them, it's the only way to get public housing, but at least if they're eligible, they're getting, they can get twice or triple the amount that they're getting um, when they're only eligible for, um, for rent assistance. Um, I also wanted to say that it was really hard for me to organize the event today because in breaking morals in my approach, in, in, in my political and feminist approach, we should have the chance for women to speak in their own voices, tell the story in their own voices. Um, But I feel that the the structure of academia, the structure of those events, we don't have enough stages anyway. And when we have those stages, we have those places to speak. And when it happens, and now with those kinds of events, we have the barrier of language and we have the barrier of sometimes not feeling comfortable doing those events on Zoom, doing it in English, and doing it in the academia for many reasons that we all can, I think, figure out on our own. Um, So initially I wanted those women to be part of the panel and speak in their name, in their voices. Um, But since we have a short time, and since it's in English, I couldn't do it. So the closest thing for me in my feminist approach is to present you um, their work and um, present you their faces and also give you an opportunity to hear from them personally so I asked Mital Cohen <laughs> um, um I asked Mital Cohen which is one of the leading leaders of public housing today um, to give us a short interview and kind of approach to the audience and translated it to English. We'll have a few of them during this presentation. Um, and Maital, she's a mother, single mother. She's a community organizer. She has this group that she will tell you about. And women are approaching her almost every day, asking for help. And, but she's not only giving them help, you know, personally, she's also recruiting them to be part of the movement which i think is awesome there's no other way to describe it and empowering and a real sisterhood which is also a major part of the public housing struggle um, so we have two, two minutes to hear f- directly from Etal and give you a chance to tell the story <laughs>
4: וכשהתבגרתי, אז הייתי גם אני בלי בית, והמשכתי את המאבק שבעצם שהיה גם כן של אמא של דור ש... הדבר מהפעמים שאני בבית זה נשאר לי, כי כל כך הרבה שנים עברתי מדירה לדירה, 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 מ, מ-, מ- ספר לבית ספר, מרופא לרופא, ועברתי חברות, ולהתנתק מהעיר הזאת ולעבור לעיר ההיא. זה יצר לי דפוס התנהגות כזאתי, שאני לא מוצאת את עצמי. כן. ומבחינתי זה דבר חשוב קורא דגג. היציבות של הבן אדם, בעיקר השקט הנפשי. דיור ציבורי ומאבק מאבק פמיניסטי, כי מורכב מנשים חד-הוריות, רובו. רובו מורכב מנשים חד-הוריות, <אח> או מניחות אפילו, נשים נחות. שלנו הוא בעצם מאחד אנשים שמגיעים מרקעים, מרקע סוציו-אקונומי מאוד קשה. אנחנו מחזקות אחת את השנייה, אנחנו מעצימות אחת את השנייה, אנחנו, אנחנו עברנו לסוג של משפחה גדולה שיוצאות להיאבק על הזכויות שלה. שהן נלחמות על הדיור הציבורי שיוצאות להפגנות, לקנסים. לוועזות בכנסת, כדי להילחם על הזכות שלהם לבית, שבאמת שיהיה לילדים שלהם שבורת גג, שיקדל כבר תור אחר, שלא יהיו עוד אנשים עם חרדות, עם חוסר שכולם באמת לתמוך את המאבק הזה, זה מאבק מאוד חשוב. אדם בלי בית הוא לא יכול להתקיים, פשוט לא יכול להתקיים. <coughs> להצטרף למאבק, לתמוך,
3: so that was Mital, really the amazing Mital there's no other way to say it. Um, and I also wanted to present it to you a testimony by Orit Moshe, also one of the women that, um, leading the struggle. Orit is not eligible uh, for public housing or she's waiting for public housing. But as I said, the list is long and there are now no apartments left. Um, So this testimony is part of an exhibition made by Carmen and Makiya Samos, my partner in Breaking Walls, and also a photographer and documentarist. And and it's also an example of the things that we're trying to do, create and and involve creativity and art in the struggles that we're doing, all of us. And that was part of an exhibition of women, that waiting for public housing while suffering in the free market from harassment and, and sexual abuse just because they're women and single moms. So this is the money testimony of Orit Moshe. I will give you a
4: few seconds to finish reading it. And that's the continuance of the testimony. And as much this this that that this testimony is hard to read, and
3: oh, it was very brave to resist and also join us and be part of the struggle. Um, it's not rare to hear those kinds of testimonies, and we have um, more of them coming to us every year, telling us about it. And, and sharing those awful things that they have to deal with in, in, in fighting for public housing and waiting for public housing. So for me, those women that we're talking about today are the heroes of the struggles of public housing, then the Wonder Woman's, but when we're talking about, we're talking about a fight for, of sisterhood going lasting for decades um, and this, struggle, uh, I kind of wanted to, to present you the evolution of it um, and then go back decades to the archive, but it's a struggle of sisterhood and it starts from grassroots work and then we're moving forward. So that means that if you're starting to protest, and this is me in the middle, if you, and this is me when I was um, very little and much more thinner, um, so this is the protest on the streets and we're studying those protests on the street and we're aiming to get the results and we're continuing with the struggles on the streets. And when we see that it's not happening, we're also uniting between those groups. So it's important to send the struggle for public housing, it's a feminist struggle and we see this a Mizrahi struggle Mizrahi feminism is an umbrella for all kinds of groups in the society in Israel, but it includes women that are ultra-orthodox women, Palestinian citizens of Israel, Mizrahim, former Soviet Union, Ethiopian, disabled elders and more. And this is an example from a demonstration um, from last November, I think, or December, um, that was led by residents in Jaffa, um, a city, in the center of uh, Tel Aviv, um, mainly a Palestinian, um, Palestinian Arabic Jewish city. Um, and that was part of their struggle to, that was part of the struggle of the women to continue. Just a second. Yeah, I saw the, the, the question and I'll answer in the end. Um, So that was part of a struggle that started by a few women, we will see them afterwards, that they couldn't afford to live in Jaffa anymore because of gentrification and other reasons and had to leave their houses they couldn't pay rent and started a tent protest in Jaffa led by single moms. It started as a Palestinian women protest and then more groups of Jews and more groups joined them. And now they're part of the,
4: the whole struggle. So when we're doing those
3: demonstrations where we live, when we're trying to, you know, to to, to accomplish the results and it's it's not working, so we're moving to direct actions. So this is an example of direct actions outside of the um, Minister of Housing, that happened also um, last summer. You can see it involved the women and the kids together. Um, outside of the houses saying, if you're not gonna invite us to meetings, if you're not gonna meet with us, and you don't care when we're doing the demonstrations in our own territory, we'll come to your house. This is also an example, um, a protest that, that we heard before, um, also direct action, they did attend protests and stayed for more than a week outside the last uh, minister of housing, you can see their tents and you can see his house led by a in the space or something like that, and um, um, not realizing what it means to fight for housing. And also, again, you can see the groups. This is an auto-orthodox groups from Jerusalem going to their ministers, going to their um, executives from, uh, that are auto-orthodox um, uh, political parties. And fighting, doing the work in their own sector, but also uniting with us
4: to a joint struggle. That's another one, Amabara, another group from Jerusalem.
3: And when it's not enough, when we're outside their houses and they're still not responding, still not interacting with us, we have to go to their conferences, their political conferences, when you know they have the stage and. They wanna feel very important and we go there and kind of infiltrate there and interrupting them uh, as much as we can um, in order to keep the media on the issue but also um, um, notify them that we're here and we're not disappearing. And when that does also work, at the same time, we're also going to the Knesset, the Israeli parliament and there's a yearly public housing um, event, but they're also going every time, all the time. And when they're not giving us the chance to go inside uh, inside or, or, or recreating us out of their um, um, rooms, we meet them at the cafeteria and make sure that they know that we're here. This is also from the Knesset. And when all of that doesn't work, what we had to deal in the last few months is the evictions from public housing, evictions of women, uh, men, families, more than a thousand families that were supposed to be evacuated from all kinds of reasons. We don't have the time to get into it, but all of them are not reasonable at all. Um, Some of them lived in the apartment the entire life and did not recognize as um, um, eligible for public housing. And in those photos, you can see it's from a few months from Tamara Kobe, um, Tamara Kobe uh, Tamar Alkobi, Tamar Alkobi house. Tamar didn't have any place to live. Uh, so she decided to break, we don't call it break, but she decided to break into an apartment of public housing that was just sitting there waiting to be set in the open market. Um, and she was the first in line in her city, but still waited for years for public housing. And then she decided to do it and supply house, a rooftop for her children. And what happened there is that um, she got an eviction order and went to the court, he didn't succeed. And those groups of amazing women and more women came to the house and prevent the evictions. And after they prevent the evictions, they managed to go to the Knesset, continue with the demonstrations, direct actions, and, and more and more activities combining together and um, got media coverage and in the end up uh, managed to create a situation when the government decided to uh, stop the evictions for now and create a new, um, a new committee that discussed with those women about the terms of evictions and even talk about evictions and criteria. So you can see out here holding a, a gas balloon to scare the police, to prevent them to break into the house and evacuate her. And she's still living in that house. Um, And I wanna show you, like I I tried to think about- I I tried to think about how to show you what it means to be part of those demonstrations um, and those direct actions. Um, So this is a nice uh, video that I like. So in the video that we're about to see, we'll see Mazal Arami, that also was eligible for housing, a single mom, waited for years and um, started with the tent protest um, and then decided to go directly to the house. Uh, so to went directly to the building of Amidao, one of the housing companies and they decided that they're not letting anyone in, you know, they wanna see their, mind their own business, not listening to the tenants themselves. So we decided to break in kind of there and demand them to accept her and speak with her, demand the CEO to speak with her. So this is what we're gonna see now. Okay. לפורץ לשם זה לא פריצה לא פליטו שהם לא מקבלים כסף
2: להם
3: אתם מגיעים לשבת קפה בחדרים שלכם על הפוערים ולהחליט החלטות לגבי מי יסתקלו לאנשים בעיניים אנחנו לא נעשה לכם כלום, אנחנו רק רוצות לדבר איתכם, זה הכל אין טעם לדחוף את יש פה את מזל היא אם חד לדבר איתכם, זה
2: הכל
4: אנחנו לא נעשה לכם אנחנו לא רוצים אנחנו רוצים לדעת למה מזל מחכה 9 שנים אני רוצה לא יראה אותי, והגיד לי בפנים, מזל, לכת לרחוב!
3: למה הוא שאנחנו and <inaudible> and we you, you, you come to children and to we and this is a photo of Mazal and our children, some of their children, in the new apartment that they got after um, that direct action and some more that we did and was definitely connected and as a result of the struggle and Mazel willing to step in and lead it. Um, For a minute, I'm also working on an archive called Mizrachion, the people's archive for social struggles in Israel. And I think that for me working on it, if you're looking, if you're gonna do a search in the national library or the official archives in Israel and writing public housing, you're not gonna find any of the Photos that we saw that far, you're going to find this guy, don't know if you know him, um, David Ben-Gurion, the first Prime Minister of Israel, and um, launching all kinds of really ugly buildings, especially in the periphery of Israel. And this is the public housing that we can see in the archive. In the archive that we are creating, we are thinking about how to break the cycle. We see the same photos. You see, it's, it's kind of the same people, the same communities, Frida, that was one of the leaders of the um, a single house protesting against the same company, Haramish, public housing company in Jaffa, just a few months ago, and we see in 91, those families protesting against, against the same company about the same issues. So the TV is changing, the style is changing, but the process is the same. And I think for us, breaking that, is is breaking walls. Is breaking that psyche um, uh, by creating a political feminist movement that working with those people, organizing them, uh, people that fighting in poverty and thinking about how to change the narratives. And um, so it's fully funded by the public. And um, we have a few communities that are more from public housing. And if someone can send a link to it in the chat, and um, you can read a bit more about that. But I think that our approach, just to say that our approach, we created it encoded breaking walls, in a sense of breaking walls, not just blessings for the women that have to fight every day to survive. And those are the people, those are the women, those are the people and those are the women that, the heroes, those are the women that, for us, if we're talking about changing the narrative... They are the one that leading the course, they are the leaders, they are community organized, they are political, future political leaders that I want to see and I know many of us here in the CHIP hopefully will want to see. And so this is what we're aiming for. And that was a brief but long introduction. So we're happy to see some more questions if you have in the Q&A. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Stapir. that was uh, amazing and super interesting. Um, I wanna bring into this conversation now, Dr. Yali Hashash. Ah wait, yeah, can you see me? Good. I wanna bring into this conversation now, Dr. Yali Hashash. Dr. Ashash is a Mizrahi queer feminist academic. Her research interests include social history of the 19th and 20th century Palestine and Middle East, poverty, gender, nationalism, ethnicity, and reproduction. She is the founder and head of the Gender and Criminology Unit at Or Yehuda Community College and a member of the Haifa Feminist Center, Isha Leisha. Yali, uh, thank you first of all so much for joining us. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, perhaps uh, as a way to kind of start this conversation from uh, uh, the foundations, if you could perhaps provide us with some explanation about what is Mizrahi feminism? Uh, Perhaps can you help us define it or provide some theoretical or historical framework uh, that you think is important in order to understand uh, this strand of feminism? Do you see it, uh, for instance, distinct from liberal feminism? And if so, in what ways? Um, And how or why would you say that the struggle for housing and specifically public housing is so connected to uh, Mizrahi feminism?
1: Thank you, Lee, and thank you, Sapir. Um, And thank you for making a point out of uh, not using um, these important struggles and the women leading them as informants, but rather as subjects and as the women that are leading the struggle. It is so important because it is so common in academia that we tend to take those texts as something that informs a research and and when you insist that no this is the center of things, these are the subjects, they're not just informing your research, it is so important. And thank you, Lehi, for your introduction. Uh, I'll try to answer some of the questions, I'm not sure I'll be able to answer all of them. when we discuss uh, Mizrahi feminism, that is feminism that Jewish women from Islamic and Arab countries practice and write about, we're often informed by post-colonial thought and critical race theory that decipher the race and gender-based mechanisms which underlies Israeli society. We realize that the forms of racism that have uh, marginalized ourselves, our mothers, our grandmothers, have deep colonial roots. But while we tend to use the holy trinity of race, class, and gender, we often pay little attention to, and, uh, to poverty and to the fact that popophobia, the hatred and fear of the poor is also as much a legacy of colonialism as racism. And I think the Mizrahi struggle was um, in its maybe beginnings, in the first decades, it was uh, very much a class uh, and a race struggle, and Mizrahi feminism was also a class, race, and gender feminism. But as post-colonial theory became more and more popular, class kind of slipped away from the cracks and movements like like breaking walls and movements like the housing movement are so important in putting class back into that equation. The feminist struggles that Sapir has brought our attention to have explosive potentials and are therefore the easiest to overlook because they bring into question the dual legacy of colonialism and because they undermine class privilege that is mistaken in our societies for culture or freedom. When women in poverty demand the acknowledgement of housing as a civil right, they challenge a powerful discourse that bases ideas of social justice on the idea of freedom of property in such a manner that having property becomes a condition to most other rights and freedoms, while lacking property is criminalized. Rikiv Ben Lulu, some of the pictures we saw in Sapir's presentation is one of the prominent leaders of the housing movement in Israel and together with Dr. Gal Levy, a leading researcher of citizenship and poverty, they wrote a paper in which they interviewed houseless women and they wrote, I quote from their article, a recurring theme was how they, they were trying to walk the right path approaching the state agencies and demanding what they deemed was theirs, only to discover that their right to have rights was questioned. And so demanding civil rights when poor is uncivil, and it is more than that. The very existence of poverty and the poor is crucial for any neoliberal economy. The poor serve as a powerful cautionary tale that promotes obedience from the not yet poor. Organizing for public housing means that you refuse to be that cautionary tale, that you do not believe you're inferior in any way and that you refuse to be ashamed. The existence of women in poverty is also a living proof that needs no verbal articulation, that non-white people and in particular women cannot measure up to others. And so you don't need to speak racism, you just point to the reality casually. Refusing those truths means that you find yourself acknowledging other racial oppressions on your society and organizing um, not on the basis of one frame of belonging, but of many. So no wonder these women call themselves lionesses. They know how much courage it takes to take on a system that has centuries long roots and how brave they need to be to reach out to each other And I agree both with Sapir and Lehi that this is the most important Mizrahi feminist struggle uh, of our time and it has repercussions for all other family struggles. And I also want to point the prices of those struggles. Those women that represent such an important voice for our society, they pay in their bodies and in their health and in their spirits to be able to do that struggle there are huge prices for this struggle. So it's important also to remember that when we celebrate them, because that means that we need resources not to look at them and have joy in their actions, but also to support their struggle physically, materially.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Yali. I have, I guess, uh, one or two more questions and then, uh, we can uh, kind of bring in some questions for the, from the audience. Um, perhaps I'll try to limit my, my own curiosity uh, and questions um, in a way. One of the things I was wondering, and I think perhaps Sapia and Diali, both of you can answer this, um, is how do you see um, this struggle uh, fits into a larger picture or a larger conversation about Israel-Palestine um, and perhaps uh, more bluntly, why do you think people should care about this? I think uh, you mentioned a uh, period at the beginning of uh, of uh, your presentation that there's not enough um, attention, public attention, especially uh, in um, outside of Israel Palestine, to the Mizrahi uh, struggle uh, in general and the housing struggle more specifically. So I was wondering if you could perhaps say a few words um, both about why you think. The struggle doesn't get the attention it deserves and, and, and why you think it should um, and how it fits into this larger conversations that are perhaps more um, visible um, around this area. Um, is it okay if I take? Um, yes,
1: yeah. go ahead. Okay. So when we think about class and nationalism, everything that can get wrong goes wrong. It's it's very difficult to put together these two struggles, the national struggle of Palestinians, the national sentiments of Jews, and um, to join forces together in terms of eradicating poverty in the entire region. And there are so many reasons for this. One of the reasons is that these societies, the Israeli society and the Palestinian society, not always see eye to eye in terms of what do we think of poverty and what do we think that needs to be done about poverty and what is the reason for poverty. And when you take the national element into the whole framework, you find that people are much more inclined to attach themselves to their own national identity than to join forces together. And I think one of the things that make it interesting is that when you only operate in the borders of Israel, then you think about the right to have a roof over your head as a civil right. And if it's a civil right, it has to do with citizenship am I a citizen of this country? But once you start to think about it in a a bigger way, like when you think about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah, then you're thinking about housing not only as a uh, citizenship issue, but also as a human rights issue. So you're opening the idea of civil rights into human rights, and there you have a much wider uh, space to work in. And both of what Shovrot were able to do and what the uh, housing movement women have been able to do is within the borders of Israel to join forces with uh, Palestinian women and uh, to fight injustice of trying to take away women from their houses. And it will be such a bigger p- project to widen it and to speak about the right to have a roof over your head in the whole area because this is a conversation that is not happening in the left. It's not happening in the left because the left is mostly middle-class people talking among themselves and talking in all kinds of slogans and having their own existential security intact but when you think about people in poverty, which is the majority of the area, then you are beginning a very different conversation and it's extremely difficult to do because one of the things that keep you safe to some kind of a measure when you're poor in a national body is to get attached to that national identity so that you'll get some kind of rights some kind of civil rights as a result of that citizenship that is national in many ways. So to expand that into human rights and to speak about, to enable national feelings, but at the same time, to have a wider base of human rights is really difficult. But I think that watching the activity of these two movements, you can can be hopeful.
2: Do you also want to comment or?
1: Yeah, I, I want to say briefly that
3: I feel like that there is a problem and, and I see it um, I see it in the left and the Israeli left or what you can consider left if you really insist, I guess. And you can see it on, I think also in the um, progressive uh, discussion that I um, came across um, living in the last few months in, in the states that the mizrahi struggles the family struggles that we're talking about fighting for public housing it seems like we're an we're an obstacle to peace it seems like we're a distraction uh, distracting sorry um, 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 and the priests that talking about the real issues which is the israeli palestinian conflict or the occupation and i think for me for me it's the opposite the work that we're doing is trying to create a left in Israel that actually almost not existing, the left that I want to see. And for us talking about um, housing, to talk about women that are incarcerated, to talk about uh, the right to electricity, because in Israel today, if you don't pay your electricity bill, you're disconnected. That's it. Um, to talk about those issues and more to talk about domestic violence, I see how it's all connected, but I, I really see how it's connected to fighting the occupation. Because for me, the money that doesn't go, for example, since the, 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 the 90s, the government doesn't build any public housing, okay? The money, and then there was a law, they said an apartment that got um, 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 a substantial amount of money from selling the apartments to the people that was eligible to public housing. In a form that was beautiful, and we don't see it now, in a form to you know, try to um, stop the poverty cycle in the second generation, so the children of the people that lived in public housing, the parents lived in public housing, can get an apartment and, and kind of have kind of leverage um, um, in the Israeli society, in the society in Israel, and what happened that the money that was supposed to go to build new. Public housing apartments went to the settlements. Okay, enormous part of it went to the settlements. And you can see that what happened that even now, Atalia mentioned uh, before Givata uh, struggle, a community, a neighborhood, a Mizrahi neighborhood in uh, north of uh, northern Tel Aviv that was um, um, evicted in the last few years and uh, a few months ago, there was the, the last eviction, the last feminist was evicted, they're still fighting to get the proper compensation. <clears throat> um, I think that that even then you can see that those communities, their struggles are not interfering. They're part of all of it. Giv'at Atamal was fighting to get compensation while a settlement that was established five minutes ago with 10 people, right, got all the support of the government, while in Sheikh Jarrah people are evicted. At the same time, I think there's, don't quote me, but I think it's something like 50 million per year, only for the security, okay, for the security um, of those uh, settlers living in Sheikh Jarrah and among those communities. Uh, those, those, those settlers, they definitely don't care about us, but they're taking the money that's supposed to go directly to us, directly to the suffering and struggling communities. So the connections are clear, the economical connections are clear, but also the political connections are clear. Because I think for us, talking about those issues, the women that's supposed to lead us, the, the political leaders that's supposed to lead us, are not sitting, most of them are not sitting in the in the government and probably won't sit in the next one. And I don't care if they're left or center or right, doesn't matter, it's the same shit. Can I say it in Harvard event? Sorry, it's the same beep. It's the same thing, okay? They're all promoting the same things. They care about their own communities. If that community is a uh, or this community, the, the white kibbutzim, it's the same one. And what we're trying to do is to say, listen, the breaking wars, we didn't start it because we said, you know, many NGOs are studying and saying we want to do activities on these kind of issues. So that means that, you know, we'll, we'll create an organization and then start doing it. No, it's been 10 years that we're doing this kind of political work. And we said there is need, there is need to organize better. There is need to raise the support because we want to be in a position that we're changing the narratives and we want to be in the position that we're talking about those political leaders. I want those women that we saw on those photos to lead us to be in the forefront of not only the public housing struggle, the political system in Israel Palestine, and I want the leaders from, I don't see them as the other side, but let's call it like that, from the Palestinian side, okay? To be also the same women that also fighting for the same problems and more problems and more human rights violations, of course, in their territories to sit with us. And I think that we can be the one, and and, and I think I'm optimistic, I definitely don't think that I'm wrong, but I think that um, 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 in the end, that can be the only result because those guys in the government coming from the army, talking Arabic that they learn from the army, they're definitely not the solution for us. So I wish, really, I wish, that we will have more stages like that and more opportunities in the academia, in other places, in, 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 and also in conversations like that in English. And I wish that we will have the chance for those women to learn English also. That is part of what we we're doing in Breaking Wars. So next time they can be the one that's speaking and not me, okay, that we will have the chance for them to really have a second, not to be constantly for generations in a survival mode to have a chance to organize, to invite more women to be part of it and to read together. So, you know, in in that point, I think that, again, it's it's definitely not a destruction. It's not an obstacle. This is the solution. Just because the same guys that were leading the peace process for years using the same techniques that led us nowhere, are not a fan of it because they're not gonna be the leaders of it and they're gonna be dismissed for it, and doesn't mean that there are the left in Israel, Palestine, and it doesn't mean that our struggles and the Mizrahi struggle and and those feminist struggles are not part of the most important things that we can talk about today while we're talking about Israel-Palestine.
2: Thank you. Um, So we have a lot of questions. I don't know uh, if we'll manage to get to all of them. Um, I kind of want to throw as a follow up to what you've been saying. We have two questions uh, from Owen that I think are both kind of similar in that they ask to highlight different intersections uh, of the housing struggle in Israel. Um, so the first one is, um, can you speak more to the disability justice as it relates to feminist and racial justice struggles for housing uh, for Mizrahi and Palestinian people? And a follow up on that is, uh, how do you see the three child minimum for public housing eligibility as related to heterosexism uh, and to efforts to erase and displace Palestinian populations? So perhaps uh, that could give you a chance to kind of but relate it. to, yeah. to yeah. that related yeah, 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 yeah. the
1: three of the three uh, children minimum. I know it's like people who go into this discourse and they see this this condition, they immediately think, oh, that's because Israel is pro natalist It's because Israel wants more Jewish babies. That's why they put this condition. But really the mothers in the public housing are constantly shamed. They're constantly uh, being um, asked to uh, not have any children to they're constantly told that they're not responsible for having children at all even if it's, it's one child so this demand to have three children it's not because the government wants that woman to have more children they're going to the state is going to neglect the third child much as it did the first and the second child It's only because they want to make it so much more difficult to gain housing. That's all. So I'm not saying there is not a demographic race. There is. This is not where it manifests. This is not where you should look, look it up.
2: Um, so, um, Sapir, do you want to answer? Should I have um... You take one more question. Okay. So a uh, question uh, from uh, uh, Aliyah Ben-Arush She's asking um, all the panel. Um, so she says, Sapir, you've been talking about the importance of speaking in this stage, uh, because Mizrahi women don't get enough stages. Um, and we all know how sensitive this platform for Mizrahi is. So she's asking, um, why do we need to fight for the stage in academia? Like, why is the academic stage important, uh, do you think, for this struggle, if at all?
3: Yeah, that, that's a great question. <laughs> I think there's two answers for that. What? One is that I, I don't want them to speak about us. I don't want them to write about us, as, as Yali said before, using us as objects. I don't want to be quoted in someone else's article that, you know, continue getting all kinds of, of scholarships and recognition for their work documenting and writing about our struggles in their own narratives and um, without me being a part of it. Not because I want to achieve more things in the academia. I think I'm done after this year. I'm talking about the, the fact that we should have the chance to be in those stages. Academia is places when you're you know thinking about things, you're you're I'm, I'm thinking about not just thinking and, and in a philosophical way, but also I think it's, it's a major place to, to, to document those issues, to document. And I think that's part of the second reason that I think that we should be, I think we should be in all the stages, we should be in all the platforms. For me, I think we should do, and the way that we see it, we're doing social, uh, social media work and we're doing you know, mainstream media and we're doing legal work and we're doing lobbying and we're doing the grassroots work and organizing. As long as we can, we can use it all. But I think that one more tool is that, and one of the reasons of establishing this, the Mizrachiyon, the, the People's Archive, which is something that they started a, f- <clears throat> a few years ago and wasn't easy to establish <laughs> as much as I thought at all, but this archive is supposed to be our way to present our narratives. Please don't take all kinds of quotes and photos and, you know, from demonstrations and pamphlets or something like that, and then write about it with your own narrative. No, I want us to be able to present the materials, the pamphlets, the videos, the photos, the quotes, the even the shirts, okay, from the struggles. And so that information will be open for all of us. For example, at Harvard, there's a major Judaica archive and it's only accessible for people that are actually in Harvard now, okay? Most of it. So the ones that are, are documented in that archive and in many other archives don't have the chance to decide about their own everything and sometimes don't have the chance to even see it. And if you are talking about um, um, academic articles, for example, since a lot of them are in English, we don't even have the chance to read about our own political process to read about our own struggles and so I think this is why, yeah, it's another stage, another space that we should be included because as long as they're talking about their work or mentioning our work in any other way, as long as there's discussion about Israel, about Palestine,
1: we should be there also. I have the exact opposite opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I think like this is um, Harvard is the richest university in the world this is the last place where it's important to uh, invest our efforts in my opinion I think it's uh, in many ways futile we get tired doing these things and we are never rewarded uh, doing these things we way anyway, you look at it we are bound to at the end of it be the informants of others. And this is, I think these kind of institutions to this particular struggle is, um, uh, they're obsolete. They have no real program in how to incorporate the immense knowledge that is happening in poor societies and in poor activist groups and in poor women's groups like Chobot-Kirot and like the form uh, that struggles for housing. They have no idea how to incorporate that knowledge. So every other scene that we've seen in your presentation, Safir, that mm-hmm. going to uh, CEOs and going to the Knesset and going to the street and going to schools and going and speaking to other mothers, These are amazing places where knowledge is created and shared and where struggle is happening. This kind of venue, I think it's more of a burden to us than it is anything else.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's our time. Um, Thank you, Sapir and Dr. Ashash um, for really a fascinating uh, hour. Uh, I also thank the RCPI uh, program for uh, allowing us to um, have it. And if I can
3: say a word before finishing, and maybe I also want to say a word before finishing. Of course. Just that um, to talk about all those issues in an hour, it's almost impossible. And in fact, it was impossible. And I do agree with Yari that, um, I think that those those kind of stages, because we don't have them. We have in a very few... (laughs) Uh, very few uh, options and, and opportunities to talk about those things in English and in Hebrew also in academy and not, not in, in academic spaces. I think that if you have more thoughts, if you want to listen, you know, have some more knowledge about it, if you want to uh, 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 join us to, to discuss about it some more, we're here. You, you can invite us, you can write to us, you can um, um, share your thoughts and and you can also support if you want because our movement is um, funded by the public with small donations in order to stay independent, in order to talk about whatever we want to talk about and do whatever we want to do that we think that actually works. So if it's academic spaces, if it's not, I think bringing us and bringing more women and I can recommend at least a hundred women (laughs) for you to invite and that will be beautiful and a great way to support and continue the conversation.
2: Thank you so much and thank you for everyone uh, who participated uh, and joined and I'm sorry uh, for uh, those who asked questions that we didn't have any time to get to Uh, and that's it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Saphir. Thank, you, Thank everyone.
3: you, everyone. And we will send the emails and some more information links in English uh, after the record of this event.
1: Sponsor, Religion, Conflict and Peace
2: Initiative.
0: Copyright 2022, the President and
4: Fellows of Harvard College.